Hello, baby. You're listening to My Perfect Playlist with me, Mark Nelson. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of My Perfect Playlist. Thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, last week's episode with Elliot Steele was uh, one of our most popular ones so far. So thanks very much if you downloaded that and listened in. My guest today is Adam Miller, who is a football journalist, a columnist in Scotland. He is an expert on Scottish football and he runs the incredibly successful satirical Twitter account at Old Firm Facts and has his own very successful podcast, the Old Firm Facts podcast now. So it's a cracking, cracking listen. Hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Adam Miller, thank you very, very much indeed for joining me on the podcast. How you doing, man? I'm really good. Thanks so much for having me on. No, it's it's, it's really excellent. Like, thanks for sending over your tracks. It's it's one of the most diverse playlists <laughs> anyone sent over so far. It's really interesting looking at it, actually. Oh, do you know, it was one of these things, it was like, as soon as he asked me to do it, I was like, this is this is brilliant, but this is also going to absolutely ruin me. Yeah. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, you know, I, I think the hard bit is because, it's like, if you just said, sort of, name your, like, 18 or however many of like, favourite songs, I think um, that would have been slightly easier, but because it's all very specific categories, it's like, I, oh, like you end up coming up with loads for each, and I, I get really, really geeky about it. I know, it's, it's weird, because, like, I've, I've always planned, if this, if this keeps going, which I really hope it will be, uh, I'll do like the the hundredth episode where I'll get someone to do it with me, and all even right. when I'm listening to music, I'll be like, ah, oh right, I, that that's what I would have for that one, and then <laughs> you and then you're going, no, but I can't, I can't shunt that, I can't possibly. So yeah, yeah, you, you feel you feel almost like you're betraying some of your favourite songs by not I, including them and stuff. I've actually done that, and I'm like, they they're not going to know. I don't have to apologise to them. <laughs> like, like, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure Leonard Cohen will be fine. Well, he won't be fine. Actually, that was a bad example. <laughs> He'll be turning in his grave. I don't want to find out. <laughs> right. Uh, opening song to open up the playlist. You have picked an absolute belter. Uh, concrete Schoolyard by Jurassic 5. So uh, let's take you back to the concrete streets. Original beats with real live MCs. Playground tactics, a rabbit and a hat trick. Just that classic rap shit from Jurassic. Let's take you back to the concrete streets. Original beats, a real live MCs. Playground tactics, a rabbit and a hat trick. Just that classic. Yeah, uh, so this was uh, me and my old flatmate. We used to always just have this song pretty much on a loop when mm-hmm. we lived together. Um, it was this is instantly this is my my old flatmate who was the double of George Samaras, the former Celtic player, to, right. the, to the point that he used to get people singing at him in the street, like just or sometimes just shouting at him. Um, but yeah, so it reminds me a little bit of uh, like good times in that flat, but also it's just a brilliant song, and uh, it also reminds me of at my wedding a couple of years ago seeing my dad dancing to it and the idea of my dad dancing to any kind of hip-hop after <laughs> like years of me subjecting him to hip-hop in the car I, and him he would always be like 
Adam, the word rap has a silent C at the start yeah. of it, which oh, is like qu- quintessential dad patterns. <laughs> such an old guy thing to say. Isn't it? Like, <laughs> like, I can imagine me saying that in a couple of years. Like, it's going... um, so, like, it, was your flatmate Greek? No, no, no. He, 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 was, that... he, was, he was Scottish, but he was just blessed with, you know, he was like a better looking Samaras. My God, that must have stuck in your throat. Like, I'd, I've got a pal that's really good looking, and it's. You just, you just, you kind of question your friendship sometimes and go, I don't need this. Well, yeah, I mean, that was, that was the burden. I'm sure, I'm sure it's a bloody nightmare for him being that <laughs> good looking, you know, it's sort of <laughs> real hard one to live with, but um, yeah, uh, <laughs> he's a lovely guy though, lovely guy. Aye. What I love about this song is it's, it's proper old school hip hop. Hmm. Like it's just, it's just, I love, I love uh, older hip hop that they just the vocals just get passed constantly like mm. a really race oh yeah you know, that kind of public enemy and the beastie boys where it's just they all jump in at any kind of points well, there was it. a there was a <laughs> there was one tea in the park years ago uh like well it was, it was maybe like my first ever tea in the park so i'm talking that's maybe like 17 or something like that but i remember we just um we were listening to beastie boys all the time on the way there but it, to the point that the whole weekend you end up like every everything you say ends like this, you know. You're finishing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the Beastie Boys, where it just was drilled into your head. But everything you said, like, shall we go and shall we go and watch the headliners? You know, it's just no. no was no, that the year? Been... Was that the year it really pushed down? You got to I mean, down there, Mark. But, I, um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what year that was. Because I remember but... seeing the Beastie Boys at Tina Park, and they they came on in like white boiler suits. All oh, right, no, I wasn't. I wasn't there the year they played it. Ah, uh, sorry, this sorry, just, sorry. This was just listening to it on the way there. Ah, uh, right, right, the time, right, 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 right. No, perfect, perfect, perfect start to it. Right, song that reminds you of your childhoods. You've gone for "Oh Yeah" by Ash. Oh. strange one like I, I had this when on a yellow cassette which i've still got somewhere and this is i used to just play it endlessly on like, the wee walkman that i had and it's basically like listening back to it now i think it's like it just sounds like it's basically like four minutes of swooning like the, mm. guy, the guy wrote it and this just blows my mind i think that first ash album he's about 16 17 yeah. when he's writing all this and it sounds like but the wee details and the lyrics, it sounded like they were written by someone with a lot more experience than your usual 17-year-olds. Same things that her eyes were making silent demands as her hair yeah. came undone in my hands and stuff like that. And I'm listening to this as a wee boy going, aye, true, mate, true. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, hear, I hear you, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like you, you listen to it now and it's just like so kind of lush sounding. It's got the strings and the soul and it's probably like a bit overblown but you know it's got that it's like the perfect distillation of that feeling when you're a teenager and your hormones all over all over the place and you just feel everything so intensely all yeah. the time you know yeah because uh, when i had elaine malcolmson on the show she picked a uh, an ash song as well and we were all talking right. about how unbelievable about how young they were hmm. when they were writing these kind of songs and it's 
when I was thinking about it, I was kind of going like, when they were so they're sixteen and they're writing this album, which is mm. amazing. And then you go, you start to go, what the fuck was I up to at sixteen? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But you must find it. Wait, we're doing, we're doing the podcast and doing being so involved in football. Mm. You must like. Do you get that same thing where you look at the age of footballers now and just go, "This is incredible!" Like, yeah, I mean, you you do start to get to that point in life where you're like, "It's probably not going to happen for me as a professional <laughs> footballer." But, but oh, even even just that things like I came into, you know, I, I came into journalism and then ultimately the podcast through a very strange route, you know, mm-hmm. of uh, you know having the Twitter account take off and then that started to open doors for, for me and all that kind of that kind of thing. So it's not just it's not just footballers that I'm looking at and going, wow, these <laughs> these guys are a lot younger than me and they're already playing for their country or whatever. But seeing like particularly through things like fan media and all that, there's people who have really got a name already and they're maybe like 17, 18 and there's no way I would have been A good enough or but B mature enough. At that yeah. age, you know, yeah. to do that kind of thing. Like, when I've, I've done a few articles for one of the websites I was writing for a while back was uh, this Not the Old Firm website, which is run by a guy, Ben Banks. And Ben is really, really young, and he's so good. Like, he's got, he's got a mass of contacts around Scottish football. Um, he edits this site, he writes as well, he edits this site, and he's got loads of people that file stuff for him. And he's built all this independently, mm-hmm. and he's now he's you know he, he now does it through GRV Media, so they you know they are supplying stuff for him and everything like that. But he built his name himself, and he's done so well. And I just think there's no way I could have done any of that at his age. Aye, what do you think it is? Do you think that the the sheer amount of media that's available to people and the sheer amount of platforms that people can put stuff out on helps with that kind of? Yeah, I, I think the internet is just a huge driver in that because it's allowed people to basically say, well, I've got an idea. I want to write something or I want to record something. I mm-hmm. want to basically create something and put it out there. And I don't have the usual, the gatekeepers that were there even 10, 15 years ago. You know, they don't necessarily exist. I don't have to wait to impress someone from a newspaper or from TV or whatever. I can just do this thing off my own back. And you know, the only person I can think of who was doing that 15, 20 years ago was maybe someone like Lemmy who built something yeah. independently. That was in the kind of early days. It was before social media. But bar Lemmy, there's not many people who were doing that back then. And now you've got a generation of people who have the savviness with the internet that they're able to go, well, I've got an idea. I'm not a member of any organisation yet, so I'll just put this up on Medium or WordPress or whatever, or I'll just record this podcast in my bedroom. And if it's good enough, if what you're doing is good enough, then it'll cut through, you'll build an audience, and then the people who can start funding you or the people who can give you a bigger platform will go, well, this person's got a ready-made audience. So you see that with like fan media or whatever, that the people maybe do it independently, and then people go, look, they're sitting up taking notice and going, well... Yeah, the- it must really piss people, like, like <laughs> those people, like the, the, the gatekeepers of... Because, like, I mean... I'm, when I talk about like like comedy, like um, with TV producers, uh, mm-hmm. they are struggling with the fact that you can kind of bypass television now mm. because if you want to put something out, you can do it with exactly the same quality of equipment they have and you can put it out directly to people that want to watch the stuff. 
uh, in your line of work, I imagine I imagine there are real arseholes of journalists <laughs> and editors of papers that used to be very, very flippant and dismissive of any young writer or any young journalist coming through. And now they're 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 essentially looking at their world dying as online media completely just takes over it. Yeah, well, I mean, this is it's a topic that comes up regularly on my podcast, and it's actually, we're recording again tomorrow, and there's going to be a big section involving that. And more specifically, there's a bit of a debate going on um, around certain people from fan media who are becoming more prominent on, say, BBC and Sky. And then there's a debate among people who are maybe more closely aligned, you know, who, who are more more inclined to read fan media and or listen to fan media and they've got a distrust of the more mainstream stuff and they're going well these people shouldn't be fraternizing with the quote-unquote msm or whatever mm. but the way i see it is i think there are people on both sides who could learn from each other you've got you know fan media those voices are they're not just and you know the kind of internet bampots that some people would want to write <laughs> fan media off as these there's really really smart engaged passionate skillful people doing that kind of thing um and it's natural that that's going to freak out a lot of people like kind of older guard within journalism and all the rest of it but at the same time i think that there are people who have been in journalism for decades that have got you know they have got something worthwhile that they can pass on to these people and i think that an ideal scenario is that there's a kind of back and forward between the two and so you, you'd get experienced journals going on fan media as guests and then you have fan media working their way into uh and you know into these more established spheres whether it be the papers or the tv or whatever and the way that you know in my mind and maybe i'm just being like naive and overly optimistic but i think if people engage with each other from fan media and the more traditional side of it then the output of the fan media improves and the output of the traditional stuff improves yeah. rather than just constantly being at each other's throats or feeling like it's an either or type thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's it is very hard to get those kind of two in any in any world. I mean, like we'll talk about Scottish football a lot later on, but that's mm-hmm. that's partly the problem with Scottish football. It's <laughs> anyone with any new ideas. Yeah. doesn't want to listen to the people with experience and the people with experience don't want any new ideas. So exactly. anyway, we will get to that. Um, <laughs> right, moving on a couple of years. Uh, when you were a teenager, a uh, song that reminds you of being a teenager, you have picked It Was a Good Day by Ice Cube. Today I didn't even have to use my 8K. I gotta say it was a good day. was one of these things where I was, as a teenager, I was mainly listening to hip-hop. And so this could have easily been something like Hit Him Up by Tupac or nothing but a G thing. So even years after that period, it was like the kind of 90s stuff that really stuck with me. And I think it was like a lot of it had, it was built around these kind of old soul samples or funk samples. And I just loved that particular sound. Um, I think with, the, with this song by ice cube um it's just so it's just satisfying how you know kind of like ha- happy he sounds but yeah. also like it's relatable because nobody i know got killed in south central la either which he, he sings about but 
Yeah, it, it's just um, I also gave him a shout out in my wedding speech as well. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, um, I was. <laughs> it was that right at the end of the the speech. It built up to the kind of emotional climax, and I said something along the lines of, um, "Now I just want to read a few lines from a song that means a lot to me and my wife," and um, th- it goes like this, and so I cleared my throat, and I went. You can do it, put your back into it. You can do it, put your hat up. <laughs> I was like, no, that's the wrong song. I just chucked the paper away. <laughs> and then your dad stood up and went, there's a silent sea in rap. Exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. I actually, I actually milked that joke as like as long as I could because eventually I went back like at the third time and did the, did the actual lyrics, which were... Uh, I want to be yours by John Cooper Clark, but before I got to that, I did right. um, regulate by Warren G. But like you see, this is um, this this song is it, it, one of the one of the happier Ice Cube songs. Yeah. Because when I was reading about it, so it, it, it's from his album, which basically his album, The Predator, and uh, most of that album's about the the LA riots. And mm. then he kind of thought, well, I need to have some kind of some kind of light stuff in this so he just thought yeah. about good stuff that had happened to him and i mean good stuff that's happened to him is massively different to different <laughs> to good stuff that's happened to us do you yeah. know what i mean i mean it's <laughs> it's a hell of a fucking day he has to be honest oh yeah like I've, I've never to the best of my recollection seen my name in the lights of the goodyear blimp <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't happen that often in glasgow <laughs> But uh, there's been a weird, uh, I went down this rabbit hole with it, and there's loads and loads of websites that try and figure out the exact date of the day. I've seen this, yeah. They, they kind of put it to some kind of day around about 1992. Hmm. And then Ice Cube just came out and went, ah, it's not actually any day at all, it's just a, a, cu- a culmination of days. <laughs> <laughs> I like that someone's gone to all that trouble to I know. go, well, the, say like the, the Lakers beat the Supersonics or whatever, so like, when did the LA Lakers exactly. play? <laughs> yeah, and um, uh, what I love about it is, uh, he, even at the end, he just gets the track to stop, because he kind of goes, like, what am I doing, what am I thinking about, as if he's going... I don't do happy songs. So <laughs> it just sacks it off. It's amazing. Yeah. Um so what what kind of what kind of teenager were you? Um I think I was a kind of moody teenager. I wasn't like, you know, I had a good group of friends and everything like that and we had a lot of good times, but I think I was sort of prone to being overly like get lost in my own thoughts and stuff like that and I think it sort of set the tone for the next few years of my life where I was like thinking a lot and not doing as much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, but that's that's what I look back on and think it's so impressive that you know we we're talking earlier about the amount of people actually building these careers, whether it be football or in the sort of industries around it, building those careers so young because I was just totally lacking motivation. Mm-hmm. I think like I had the same kind of you know for better or worse, like the guy who's making jokes on Twitter and writing these columns. I think I had sort of roughly the same kind of mind back then, but I wasn't. I could never really motivate myself and that's kind of probably the one biggest regret in my life is that I look back and think, um, you know, around that kind of late teenage years, early 20s, that I wasn't really that motivated and I could have got more done earlier. Yeah. And so did you have a, did you have an inkling to go into journalism? Yeah, I did. Um, And I I studied journalism, um, but I just, 
again, it was the, the kind of get up and go that I had for it. And like, you know, that's an industry where you have to be really good at making contacts yeah. and building up a body of work and stuff like that. And I think in my head, you know, and it's obviously a rational thing to think. I think in my head, it's probably like, well, I know I'm good enough to do this and maybe someone will just catch the vibes I'm putting out there or yeah. something, you know. And really that, like I say, that's my regret is I should have just sort of really worked harder at it. I was doing kind of work experience and various things, but I wasn't as good at networking and stuff like that as I should have been. And I didn't build up this sort of body of work that I should have done. And yeah. I think, you know, if I'd been... I wonder what would happen if I was just, if I was that age in 2021 with all the opportunities that the internet has, because it could work both ways. It could either be like, well, that would, I would have the sort of savvy and the motivation to do my own thing off my own back, or it might just get drowned out and, you know, by everyone having their own thing and Aye. just get kind of lost in the shuffle. Yeah. And um, when you started the, the, the Twitter account, was that with an idea that it would turn into something or was it just you wanting to put out jokes about Scottish football? I was literally just wanting to put out jokes. I've, I've said this before, but there was no, there wasn't an inkling of what it was going to become. It was purely just a case of a thought of a couple of, in my head, funny jokes. History will tell otherwise, but like <laughs> thought of a couple of jokes involving the old firm and um as controversial a set of words as that is and uh, i just thought well my mate stevie who told it kept telling me he's like i think you'd be quite good at twitter well i was like well i'll just set up this account so that i can tweet these things out and it just literally two seconds to think of the name two seconds to fire these things out but i i think the second the the, the, the first time that i saw stuff get even just like a couple of retweets or whatever i was like right i see how this works now like if someone likes this then they share it and someone else shares it and it was maybe the first time because i'd always like been like the guy annoying everyone in the pub with shite jokes and everything yeah. like that and obviously as you know in comedy there's a world of difference between being that guy who's maybe funny or thinks they're funny in the pub and then doing it in front of an audience or whatever and i think that was my taste because i don't have a background in stand-up or anything like that i think that was my first taste of oh, a stranger just laughed at something yeah. i said and, yeah. and i'm guessing i don't need to tell you that's quite an addictive sensation yeah it's yeah i mean and, and that's why like when you, when you get people that aren't on twitter and they kind of go on about it is a very addictive thing when you see when you've put out a joke that you're proud of and you suddenly see those numbers starting racking up, hmm. there's been times where I've gone, I shouldn't be checking this as much. <laughs> you know, you feel terrible about it because you feel like, oh my God, I've bought into this yeah. social media game now. But hmm. it's very, very hard not to. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's the thing. I had to sort of train myself after a while to not think about it in terms of the, the numbers. So, you know, the... the if you all I'm thinking about is did it make me laugh? Does it make me laugh? Because if you just start thinking what's going to do you numbers or whatever, then you're just doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, and yeah. uh, there's nothing to set you apart. So I think if you're doing what makes you laugh, then you know that some of those tweets are going to absolutely flop, and that might either because they're crap or they might just have sort of really niche references. So you'll see sometimes like kind of pop culture references on mine. That I'm like anyone who likes this tweet immediately goes up in my estimation yeah you know? yeah um 
so but yeah like it is hard not to let the the numbers side of it dominate your thoughts and i think as i was getting into it i was like that was the that was the addictive part of it and then after a while you're like no you can't can't think like that or else you'd end up doing what i did and been like on on holiday in new york a couple of days after i've proposed to my wife going around the natural history museum and checking my phone to see people giving me abuse about something I've said about Joey Barton. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, Scottish football is, is like, people say to me, particularly in the last year, they kind of gone, and when Trump was in power, they kind of went, this must be a gold mine for you. Hmm. And you go, well, not really, because it's very, very hard to satirise something that's already satirising itself. Yeah. And Scottish football is so mental that it's, it's unlike any other... Even, even like, at the weekend, there was the... Somebody just put, oh, God, it's great to have Scottish football back. And it was the fact that uh, Albion Rovers, <laughs> uh, the referee got injured, so they had to get one of the Albion Rovers players to run the line. And you go, I mean... <laughs> Professional football league for Christ's sake! And Albion Rovers Twitter feed just put out something that the opposition manager is raging. Yeah, the thing with that is that there's with, with Scottish football people when when stories like that happen, I always get people tweeting me saying you must be loving this, and a part of me definitely is, but at the same time, it's like. You know, I'm trying trying to go about my day as well. And sometimes it's just like a bombardment of stuff, which is great for material and everything like that. But it's actually hard to keep up with at times. Aye, aye, I can imagine. Uh, right, moving on. Uh, next song is a song that gets you dancing. Hmm. Now, you've picked a song called uh, "Stand on the Word" by the Celestial Choir. track it's good isn't it yeah it's because I'd, 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 I'd read into it and it's because it, the only one i could find on spotify was by the the jubert sisters yeah um so the the version on spotify the the jubert singers one is good mm. it's a really good version but the one on soundcloud by celestial choir is just it's just so uplifting it's this yeah. kind of gospely thing and i've like i've heard it a few times on nights out and it's just absolutely amazing um yeah i mean i don't have any sort of specific memories that it's tied to i don't think but it's just one of these things you hear it and like you can't you can't switch that off yeah i've never i've never heard funk and gospel mix <laughs> so well like it's yeah it's incredible i was just gonna say it's like just this incredibly uplifting thing when you hear it and it, it makes you know that you're saying you never heard funk and gospel work so well together mm. it's probably one of these things on paper it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense and then you hear it and it's just mind-blowing how you know like i say uplifting it is yeah because there's quite a few gospely songs on mm. your playlist there's quite a lot of there's quite a lot of themes well not themes in terms of what the songs are about or anything like that but quite a lot of genre themes that yeah. i was quite surprised at there's a lot of gospel actually spread about through it yeah, I don't know what it is. I think something about that kind of thing. Um, maybe it's just because it's probably the opposite of you know my ex- you know I you know, associated gospel 
with these choirs and churches and stuff like that and i think it's probably different it's just it it sounds so exotic to me because mm-hmm. it's the opposite of the religion that i grew up with you know i grew up in a jewish family and you would go to the the synagogue which is all very not stern necessarily but it's not it's not it's not like upbeat and yeah. uplifting and all the rest of it are you trying to tell me synagogues don't have aretha franklin style gospel choirs <laughs> Well, actually, there's a, no, but there, there was a there was a film, sort of romantic comedy. I can remember my mum liked, and it is uh, keeping the faith. Does that mean anything to you? It was like I, no. Ben Stiller and Ed Norton, and I can't remember the exact storyline, but I think like it was. It's probably one of these pitches that sounds like the start of a joke. It was like Ben Stiller's a rabbi and Ed Norton's a priest, and they're <laughs> fighting over the same woman or something like that, and. But there's a scene I should remember where it's like Ben Stiller's trying to sort of drive up attendances at the synagogue and he gets this gospel choir in and all the sort of older rabbis are like, hey, what are you doing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that was, that, that's probably the closest I've come to seeing that. Because the next yeah. song, the next song, uh, the song you've picked, The Perfect Trip for a Road Trip, has got, has got gospel history to it as well. You've picked uh, Sinner Man by Nina Simone. Yeah, um, so Nina Simone's like one of my absolute all-time favorites. I think like you can, she does all manner of music, and mm. so some of their kind of stripped back, just her and the piano type stuff is amazing as well. Um, but the intensity of this song is just incredible. I think it'd be like perfect for a long, a long journey. Um, yeah. But everything she sings, whether it's something sort of intense and pounding like this, or more kind of sort of ballady type stuff, just the the conviction in her voice just stops you in your tracks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love this one. It's pure jazz. I mean, it's just, mm. it's just, it's just like you said, it's relentless. For yeah. ten minutes, it's just constant. Like, like, have you have you ever seen the film Quiplash? Oh, I love Whiplash. Yeah. yeah. When I was listening to this, I was like, that drummer has not stopped mm. so this entire ten minutes, and it's constant. Uh, I loved it. I, I really love this song, and she's fascinating because um, this this song I didn't know this. It's like a it's an African American, kind of like a a traditional song, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a traditionally a spiritual song. Yeah. That uh, she learned when she was really young because her mum, who was a, a Methodist minister, she used to use it at what, these revival meetings. Right. And they were used to encourage people to basically admit to their sins and to repent to, for their sins. Oh, so, didn't know that. She, yeah, she'd learnt this song. And I didn't know this about her either. Um, so, she'd, she, she wasn't a, like a, a child prodigy at the piano, mm-hmm. but she was very, very good at the piano. And um, one of her first ever performances was this recital uh, at a church. And her parents came along to see it and they sat in the front. And then because of the time it was, her parents got asked to move to the back because there were white people at the front. Hmm. And then Nina Simone at 12 years old refused to play until her parents were moved back forward to the front. Right. And I was like, can you imagine, like 12 years old? I know. That kind of level of... Just 
just that strength to go, nah, I'm not having this. Like, well, you can you can hear it throughout her music. Like even mm-hmm. there's there's live recordings from the eighties as well. One of the one of her best songs. It's not that you know, like a lot of her stuff. It's like an interpretation of a sort of standard. But one of one of her songs, Mississippi Goddamn, there's a brilliant live version from the sixties. But there's still a good version of it from the eighties as well. And even at whatever age she is in the late eighties or whatever, there's still that kind of anger yeah. in her voice. And I think that that was partially why, although she had this incredible career and she's like loved and adored and thought of as one of the all-time greats, she doesn't necessarily have that kind of crossover appeal that mm-hmm. maybe other people who were contemporaries of hers had. And I think it was just this total refusal to compromise on what she was doing. Yeah, yeah. Right, next song. A uh, song you use as walk-on music. You have gone for Blind by Hercules and Love Affair, but the Frankie Knuckles remix. Yeah, uh, the the act the the original version, not the remix, is really good as well. But the the remix just sounds incredible. It's it's like the way I would describe this song is it sounds like the best holiday you've ever been on. Yeah, that's really interesting because the, the the original song is very it's very very discoy, mm-hmm. and it's very synthy, and uh, then the remix properly makes it this chilled dance. Hmm. And 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 chilled. I hate using the word. I hate using the the description of chilled music for dance because there was all those sh- really shitty compilation albums, like the best Ibiza chill out album ever, and it was just <laughs> shite that had been used in adverts, you know. But <laughs> but it is, and that's exactly what I thought. Like if you were if you were sitting around about a bar on holiday, this would be the perfect background music. Definitely, it just it feels like that's the kind of image I've got in my head. Um, yeah, just sunshine and this, and just being totally, totally just joyous. Um, and I think like if you were putting that on at the start of the show, you've instantly got everyone in a good mood. Oh god, yeah, 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 yeah. It's very cool. Uh, next one, best song from a film, and you have picked "Too Late to Turn Back Now" by Cornelius Brother and Sister Rose. It's too late to turn back now. I believe, I believe, I believe I'm Yeah, uh, so that was that wasn't a song, as far as I'm aware, that I had heard of until a couple of years ago. It's in the film Black Klansman, yeah. the Spike Lee film, um, and it was it was a scene where so this is set in the seventies, and I think it's like the the main character and the woman he's seeing, who's the very pivotal pivotal figure in the film, without giving too much away. They're on the, their first date, I think, and they're in this club, and it ends up being like, have you ever watched any of those old Soul Train videos mm-hmm. on YouTube? So they, they end up doing a kind of Soul Train line, and the people in the club are singing along to this, and you, it's not like when you're watching a film and it's just the music is 
overlaid over the visuals like you can hear the music but you can also hear the the people in the club singing it and it was just so infectious watching it in the cinema and i was like what on earth is this song it's so good and i thought it was just the best use i could recall of music in a film it was like instantly i was like i bought into this film i'm totally sold yeah 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 it's a great film black clansman yeah it's, it's really, really good, good film it's like for anyone that doesn't know it, it's a film about it was the first black uh, detective in the colorado state department mm. and he's kind of sick of the desk job he's been given so he has to go undercover and they basically ask him to infiltrate the clan <laughs> and it's a very very funny film as well like it's real mm-hmm. really really good film um and it was interesting you picked that as well because like with the, the nina simone and the civil rights kind of thing and when i was on your podcast we had a uh, genie hansen on mm-hmm. and we were talking about racism in football and what I've always been very impressed through the Twitter account is you you properly uh, along with the jokes there is a there is a, a background of proper justice behind it. Like you 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 kind of care about particularly like I've always been impressed with the way you've mocked and ridiculed Malky Mackay <laughs> because it's like a lot of people would shy away from that kind of thing well i, I think that i think the trick i mean a trick sounds cynical but i, I like you don't want to sort of bash people over the head with it relentlessly because mm-hmm. then they just start to drown it out but if i see something that i think is important I, I think it gets to a point where you go you've got a certain amount of followers here and obviously people are 99 percent of them are following me because they either like a joke that I've made about football or a column that I've written about football. But I think once you get to a certain amount of followers, I think you've got a responsibility that if you feel strongly about something, whether it be racism or mental health, homophobia, anything, you if you feel like, if I tweeted this, it might just help one person, and then you go, ah, well, that's not what people follow me for, I would just feel guilty. I'd feel like I was wasting this platform that I built for myself. Yeah. Um, and it's been like, it, it was something that took me a while, you know, with the kind of early days of the account, wasn't something that crossed crossed my mind to do. You know, I would have these feelings about things, but maybe I just didn't have that big a platform and I didn't really realise that actually I could use this platform for, for good, you know. Yeah. Like, and you end up getting to meet really interesting people or hear really interesting stories through this kind of thing, but also you're sharing stuff so someone might have something very important to say um let's say on the subject of racism or they might be struggling with something that might be mental health or whatever and they might only have let's say a couple of hundred of uh, a couple of hundred followers on twitter and you know that just by taking half a second out of your day to retweet that or two seconds out of your day to share it with a quote about it or whatever mm-hmm. you're instantly boosting the amount of eyes that are going to be on this person's issue by thousands and yeah. you know that it, all, it only really needs one person to have either rethought the way they were thinking about something or to reach out and help someone to justify you doing that so um yeah it's, it's become important to me to yeah. you know to use the account like that and you'll you'll, you'll realize that how effective humor can be in getting those kind of points across yeah, definitely. I mean, with, well, with Malky Mackay, it's like, I'll, you know, I've written plenty of serious stuff about him in columns, yeah. but also I think, you know, I like to ridicule the guy because it's a, it's a fairly ridiculous figure 
to yeah. me. Like, so there are, you know, there will be people, there will be guys, it's quite common for someone to come into the limelight and then people will dig out a tweet from, say, 10 years ago yeah. when they were 18 or even younger, maybe, and go, let's cancel this, not cancel this person, but let's, you know, pile on this person or whatever. And while it's worthwhile saying this is unacceptable or whatever, your brain when you're 18 is still forming. You can, we've all done really, really stupid shit when we were 18, you know, not necessarily racist, but, you know, we've all done daft things, said daft things that we would like to take back. Um, And, you know, if you're doing that when you're 18, it's right that if it gets brought to like 10 years after that, you, you address it and you say, well, you know, I've, uh, that that was stupid, I was young, I was ignorant, I've learned from it and all the rest of it. But Malky Mackay, he was 41 when mm-hmm. all this happened. So he didn't have that excuse of he was a daft young guy and that's the kind of thing that daft young guys can sometimes do. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 41 and knew exactly what all the words and the references and the pictures or whatever meant. Um, but the reason, that, and there's, there's other footballers, there's other football managers, there's other people in that world who have also said, or done ignorant, offensive things in their time. But the, I think what stuck with me with Malky Mackay was that I felt his apology was so half-arsed and almost arrogant yeah. that it, it wasn't a case. You know, even if you make a mistake when you're 41, if you do something really, really bad, if you actively acknowledge it and go, this was a really, really terrible thing I did. I can see that it's hurt people. That's completely on me. And then you take the steps in your life to address it and become a better person. I'm all in favour of that. I'm not in favour of this idea that someone is just consigned to the the rubbish bin of history forever. I think you can grow, even as a middle-aged person. Malcolm Mackay should have been capable of doing that. But what he did instead was there was a press conference and he got asked about it. And I think he said something like, I might be wrong on this, but I think it was something along the lines of, uh, well, actually, I know more about racism than anyone in the room now. Mm-hmm. Something to that effect. And basically, the reason he knew more, supposedly knew more about racism was because he was the only person in that room who had been forced to go on a course telling him not to be racist. Exactly. Like, you know? yeah. So if he'd shown a bit more humility about yeah. it, then I would have gone, well, I'm, you know, fair enough. The guy can, you know, grow as a person. You don't, you know... If you just write someone off the second they do something racist, like if if a forty one year old football manager comes out tomorrow and says something racist, I would be tweeting about it, going this guy's a dick and all the rest of it. But if down the line he's you know the apology comes out and he says you know it's very humble and it's reflective and it addresses and understands what he did wrong, then I go well fair enough. But that I don't think ever seemed to happen with Malky Mackay. It just yeah. felt like he was hoping that it would just die down after a while and that it would be forgotten about, but it's not forgotten about. It's very interesting because it is, I mean, it is such a, it's such a fine balance over because you don't want to, like you say, con- consign someone to just the rubbish bin of history. Like, there, there, there needs to be a way for them to make up for what they've done wrong and there must be some kind of rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. But it, it is the reaction afterwards. You'll be able to better tell better than me, who's the manager that, was in jail for drug dealing. David Martindale. David yeah, Martindale. Livingston. Yeah. Now, the difference between the kind of attitudes towards him in Scottish football and towards someone like Malky Mackay are huge because he does look like a man who has properly accepted what he's done, 
apologised for it and moved away from it and grown. Absolutely. So it is, it, it's the reaction to what you've done that allows you to move on. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've, I've written something similar about David Martindale. That was a guy who, as, Livingston, as his profile was growing as the manager of Livingston, these stories were coming out and he sort of held his hands up and said, you know, I was a daft guy. This is how I ended up going down that road. I look back on it with regret, but I've become a better person as a result of it. And you look at the character that he is now and you go, you know, he could have just been, as I said earlier, he could have just been, you know, blacklisted when he came out of prison and never gets a job again. But he was allowed to sort of work his way up through the club and everything from a very low level of just kind of helping out with like cones and training and stuff like that. And he showed himself to be a responsible, hardworking person who'd learned from his mistakes in his 20s. And he's now he's become a kind of inspirational figure, and he's he's exactly what rehabilitation should look like. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I just think the the comparison with Malky Mackay is just night and day. You know, you think about those two characters. Yeah, yeah. No, it's very interesting. Right, next song, a song that makes you happy, and you have picked "California Soul" by Marlena Shaw. Yeah, it, to me, that's like, if I hear California Soul, that's the start. It doesn't sound right any time of year apart from the start of summer. Like, I yeah. mean, it's, it's great 365 days a year, but like that song to me, it's like, that goes, you know, get California Soul in your headphones and get your first calippo over the year. In your hand. <laughs> and that's like, that's, that's like the start of summer for me. Um, It's just this, uh, it's like, I'm trying to think of a less wanky word than sumptuous but you know what i mean like it's really (laughs) it's really hard to totally i don't go i've not been on many music podcasts as much as i'd like to and i've sort of got the vocabulary that i know works with football stuff i'm like how do you talk about music without sounding like a total dick um but yeah it is it's just sumptuous it does it screams summer i mean you can i mean that's what there are certain songs that people have picked for this category that as soon as they play you just feel better about life and this is one of them it's just it's just a fantastic fantastic song and it elicits feelings that you might be somewhere else yeah it, it, it does it doesn't sound like a rainy day in glasgow and conversely a song that makes you sad or cry you picked a song called dolphins by fred neil i've been searching for the dolphin in the sea And sometimes I wonder Do you ever think of me? It was actually, um, and this could have pro- possibly gone in the category where I went with the song from Black Klansman, but this was, it was in a scene from The Sopranos uh, that I first heard this. Um, I don't know if you watched The Sopranos, but yeah. it's it's the episode, kind of one of the later series, where Chris kind of has a relapse and gets high at this sort of, um, sort of street festival mm-hmm. that they're having. And it's a really, really sad scene, but the song was just the perfect 
perfect accompaniment for it, and um, he just he sounds like the you know he sounds so lost when he's singing he, and the way like when he sings the chorus the line is I've been searching for the dolphins in the sea and sometimes I wonder if you ever think of me uh, like I guess it's open to interpretation but I always sort of it feels like this gut punch to me because I always think it's like the story of a guy who's just gone completely off the rails he's been maybe trying to hold it together and it's just he's just gone off the rails and he's clinging on to this idea that, that maybe someone from his past still cares about him and it just yeah. like I say it's open to interpretation but I, I just love that uh, the, the, the feel of it I mean it is a really sad song but it, it's uh, I don't know the, the music fits those lyrics so perfectly and um, yeah uh, uh, yeah it's a sad, it's a sad yeah. song but it's brilliant I'd recommend it to anyone I didn't know much about the guy um, yeah when I was looking at him because he, he was good he was a folk singer in the 60s and 70s yeah, he was a contemporary of Dylan in the like, yeah. kind of Greenwich Village. And very, yeah, yeah, and very, very well respected and well thought of. Hmm. But he never made, he never, he never got any commercial success. He got more, he was more commercially successful for other people's interpretations of his songs because hmm. he wrote uh, "Everybody's Talking" that hmm. was used by Harry Nielsen in "Midnight Cowboy." Yeah, I mean, he's he's not a guy. Like I've I've listened, you know, there's a few other songs that I've heard by him that I like, but for some reason I didn't quite get into him as an albums guy or whatever. It was just this specific song, just uh, yeah. And you know, you're not going to listen to that on the same play, you know, in the in the same mood as California Soul. You know, that's like that's for a different time of year. Yeah. But it's uh, I don't know. There's there's something about it. Like I've got one. You know, it's some point in the future. This, but I think my idea with the podcast that I've been doing, the Old Firm Facts podcast, is that after a while, I'm hoping that I can continue to do that, but also maybe kind of have a sort of spin-off thing, which would be a non-football thing, and more about sort of creative people. And see, you'll know if you've listened to any of the Old Firm Facts podcast episodes, that there's a lot of, like yourself, comedians, there's um, writers, there's you know authors tv people musicians and all the rest of it and there's at least you know whenever i get someone like that on there's maybe about sort of 20 percent of the show is just me asking stuff about you know the kind of creative process and stuff like that mm-hmm. which i'm really interested in and i've got this idea for at some point doing a podcast like that and that if i get a chance to do that it'll be called searching for the dolphins i just had this oh, idea nice. that, yeah that it was like the dolphin Again, I'm I'm probably sounding kind of wanky here, but like the the, the dolphins are like um, searching for that sort of creative spark or whatever. Yeah. You're 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 looking for you're kind of all at sea, and then yeah, you're just looking for this thing to validate you. Are you um, are you more comfortable now with? Because the thing with the thing with a, t- a Twitter account that is is just doing jokes. You've got uh, did you like the anonymity you had of just being the guy from Old Firm Facts? it's really difficult that one so I, if if I was setting up the account or if I'd set up the account with an, a plan for it if I thought well this is going to eventually lead to columns in newspapers and going on the radio and doing podcasts and whatever I would have just used my name and my face mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought twice about doing that but I had like I say I had no idea where it was going to go and because because it started to take off as this anonymous thing I thought well, maybe let's just see how long this can go on for as an anonymous thing. And it's been years now. And there have been times where, 
even today I had to turn something down. I got I got um, a very strange offer to be in a video, which I don't I don't think I can talk about right. during this. So I'll tell <laughs> I'll tell you about it after. But um, you occasionally have to turn things down because there's just no way you can do it anonymously. And part of me is like I kind of wish I was out there, but the problem is it got put to me brilliantly by an editor that I was working for once. I was like, I kind of feel like part of me is like, maybe I shouldn't be anonymous anymore. And he says, don't do it, mate. You've lasted this long. And if you do it and something bad happens, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. Yeah. Literally, like I've been anonymous for years and all it takes is being, you know, out there for two seconds. And if you go, oh shit, that was a bad idea. It's too late. And my, my biggest concern, you know, having reached a certain level with it and the fact that, you know, as much as most of the feedback I get really positive, there are now more than enough people who really dislike me yeah. that that I'm more concerned about, like, my family. Yeah. Like, genuinely, like, I, I kind of look at it and go, well, I've had years now of people calling me a dick online. I can live with that. But why would I want my wife to be subjected to any of that? My wife doesn't even care about football. Like, I... why should she... Why should she have to deal with shit if people work out who I am or where I live or yeah. whatever? Like, why should she have to put up with any of that? You know. Yeah, I mean, as like I was gonna, I'm gonna ask you about the 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 online abuse kind of thing because, like, I get it, but <clears throat> I don't like I know that I don't get it nearly as much as you will because, like, it's been weird. I I've I, I've I kind of insight into what you must have to put up with every day, in where I could I could make jokes about natural disasters i could make jokes about uh school shooting in america i could make jokes about the most contentious of subjects make a joke on the day someone has died whenever i made a joke about either celtic or rangers <laughs> that was when the real real nasty abuse came it's incredible it's people are so incredibly sensitive about it and it's rich for me to complain about that because part of what I do is built off the back of that. Mm -hmm. Like, without that level of intensity, you, you take that out of Scottish football and it's lacking something. I mean, yeah. you're never going to say that the main selling point of Scottish football is the quality because although, as, <laughs> you know, as we've seen with getting to the Euros and everything like that, we do have a good generation of players um, and there are plenty of good players within Scottish football. We're never going to be, like, in the top 10 leagues in the world. Mm -hmm. So... The selling points have of Scottish football have to be things like the kind of surreal stuff that attaches itself to, and the just intensity with which people get into it, and it's hard to for me to then turn around and say, care enough for me get get worked up about it enough for me to be able to make jokes, but don't get worked up so worked up that you call me a dick about it. Yeah, and I I think. It's about putting it into perspective. So the, the the first maybe couple of years of it, it was harder for me to deal with because I'm not by nature a confrontational person. So like I would be, you know, I wasn't used to people getting angry about things that I'd said. It was just a totally surreal experience mm -hmm. for me. And then you go, does this, does this person have a point? And then you sort of reach a, you reach a point where, you know, you see the, the kind of type of insult people give you and you think, if I was appealing to someone like that, I'd probably be doing the wrong thing. The, the yeah. ones that give you pause for thought are when people say, you occasionally get some, someone will say to you, I'm a big fan, but I think you were out of line or I think you were you off target there or you missed the point or something like that. And you go, well, if they're sort of prefacing it by saying something nice 
and they've not called you a name, yeah. there, there's probably an element of truth in it, and that sort of causes you to reflect a bit. But the, the other important thing as well is that you don't, as much as, yeah, you can have times like there was an, uh, you know, a joke I made the other night where you get loads of people who didn't like it, and you fair enough. But you have to put it into perspective. And so you think about like some of the people that I've had on my podcast, you know, some of the women mm -hmm. I've had on the podcast, for instance, uh, Jean Johansson that was on the episode that you were on, the abuse, the type of abuse that they get is yeah. so much worse than the type of abuse that I get. And they yeah. probably get more of it as well. It's more intense and there's more of it. And so it's all very well, you know, it's not nice some of the stuff that I get, but I think I try and put it in perspective and go, well, I'm not a woman on the internet, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it is a level of it like that. I mean, you, you get umpteen arseholes every day just calling you a dick because you've made a joke about the team that they support <laughs> um i get that constantly for jokes that people don't like but it is there is a line where people then cross and then it becomes abuse rather than yeah. just someone just not liking you and it, it's hard it, it's it's incredibly hard for anyone i think outside of scotland to understand the sheer passion and the sheer particularly with the old firm that is some people's lives. That's yeah. it. Like, there is nothing else they have in their life other than that team. Yeah, and I, I think that kind of comes back to what I'm saying about, like, you just sort of trying to strike that balance of we talk up how good that level of intensity is in terms of the fans getting behind our team and then saying funny things on the internet or on football phone-ins or whatever. But then that not spilling over into, you know, there's plenty, we don't need to go into all the levels of bigotry and sectarianism and all the rest yeah. of it. We know all about that stuff. And then the, you know, people taking it out on on people on the, on the internet, you know, whether it's uh, sexist, misogynist abuse or whatever. And we just, I, I see it all the time and I sort of like, to, so for instance, today I was writing some stuff for uh an episode of the podcast I'm recording tomorrow and one of the things I'm writing about is what I was talking about earlier this thing about fan media and the old more old school mainstream media or whatever um but there, there's a woman who N Natasha Miko who was on episode seven of my podcast she's brilliant really like eloquent passionate intelligent person who's come up through fan media and as a result of how good she is on that and how prominent she is she's now getting these opportunities where she goes on sky sports news she goes on bbc to talk about celtic which you would think is a really good thing mm -hmm. but there is just the level of jealousy that people have towards that and there's a sort of sense of like you know that the, the, there's certain celtic fans who are like why is she getting above her station you know, yeah. and I'm guessing that, you know, you know the comedy world better than I do. There must be a kind of element of that where it's all very well, you know, if people see you playing at the local comedy club and go, that guy's really funny. But if you start getting, say, Mock the Week or something oh, like God, that, yeah. then it's, who does that dick think he is? You know, It's such, it's such a Scottish mentality. It's, oh, totally. It's that kind of, we can enjoy you as long as you don't get too big for what we deem your station to be. Mm -hmm. That's the... Um, I, I, I very much, I love, I love the hypocrisy of it all as well. Like I, I've had, I've had people 
I've, people accusing me of being a Celtic fan when I was taking the piss at Rangers, and I've now got people accusing me, the same people that liked it before, accusing me of being a Rangers fan because I'm taking the piss at a Celtic. Yeah. And I'm just kind of going, no, it's because Rangers were shite then, <laughs> Celtic are shite now. That's where, that's where the, the, the piss take is. Like it's, yeah, I feel like that should be like my pinned tweet on Twitter. <laughs> like it's, that's all it is. It's like, like if, if Rangers had lost... Like, uh, in the last minute against Hearts the other night, then the yeah. jokes would have been about Rangers, but of it course. was Celtic that lost, so the jokes are about Celtic. And there's there's no there's no great thought goes into that. It's just who's losing and is it funny? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Next song uh, is a song that reminds you of a friend or family member, and you have picked "Come Rain or Come Shine" by Ray Charles. I guess when you met me It was just a one of those things But don't ever bet me Yeah, uh, fairly easy choice because it was first dance at my wedding. Um, right. So this was a couple of years ago. Um and again, like, you know, like how geeky I was about trying to narrow things down for this. You can imagine what I was like with the first dance. <laughs> and once we'd removed You Can Do It by Ice Cube from the list, this was, <laughs> this was the number one. Um, was it, yeah, a, it, was, was it a joint decision? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, joint in the sense that I came up with it and she went, yeah, that's fine. Right. I did the geeky stuff of like, we don't Spotify pulling some stuff over into a playlist and saying have a listen what do you think you know what do you like in this and all the rest and you know she was she was entitled to that stuff but she's like happy for me to just be the geeky one with this kind of thing and that was one that we both agreed on so there were you know there were somewhere only one of us liked it but that was one that we both agreed on yeah. um and it was like we'd listened to it and we listened to it loads before the wedding and we're like this would be perfect but we're not like we're not people that love a being the centre of attention and we got we were, we were dancing you know at the wedding and she said to me like I think as we got, in, got into the third verse she's like when is this song going to end it's like it's only like a like a three three and a half minute song but she, I think she was very conscious of the fact like we thought the song was maybe coming to an end it's like shit we've got to keep dancing still and like I've only got like two moves I think you can't really be you can't really do too many moves in the first dance no no I tried to convince my wife to have Champagne Supernova by Oasis for our first dance. It's like an eight-minute Exactly. She was like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, people will be getting hungry, for Christ's sake. I think uh, Champagne Supernova is like a good end-of-night song. It is. It is. It is. But I just thought, because I, I was kind of trying, and I was like, people will be singing the bit. And I was like, she was like, who's going to, what, your gran? Is she going to be singing it? Is she going to be... Um, I love this song. I love. I think Ray Charles has the most perfect voice of hmm. any singer ever. I think it's just it's like velvet. Listen to. Oh him. yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's amazing. I mean, you could have chosen even just for a first dance. You could have chosen some other Ray Charles mm -hmm. songs. There's one careless love that is brilliant. It's not, um, it's like, I think it's I think it's in White Men Can't Jump that song. Yeah, um, right. anyway, yeah. It's a really great song. But Come Rain or Shine. Just thought it's got. Uh, so the lyrics, days may be cloudy or sunny, we're in or we're out of the money, but I'm with you always, I'm with you rain or shine. It's like, you can't really say fairer than that, can aye, you? As, again, like I say, it's more romantic than you can do it by Ice Cube. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, karaoke song. 
We've picked Bring It On Home To Me by Sam Cooke. Bring it to me, bring your sweet loving, bring it on home to me. Yeah, um, so technically my karaoke song in the past, I couldn't choose for this because he's been cancelled. It was Ignition by R. Kelly was my oh, karaoke right. song well, Yeah, past. you can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was briefly, like a few years ago, I was very briefly in a covers band and it was like mainly sort of old sort of soul, blues, um stuff from like 50s 60s early 70s and uh, we played a couple of gigs and it was incredible and I, I just had an amazing time doing it but the two guys who formed the band very quickly fell out with each other and split and we split up and that was the end of that but um you know i mean it's probably in the history books been overshadowed by oasis splitting up but you know it was, it was important yeah. to me anyway but before um, then it was the... <laughs> yeah yeah um, well, well i mean this was a few a few years after oasis split up so it was um maybe stole the headlines for a bit but no it was it was um i loved doing it and one of the, the sort of highlights of the the sets was this song bring it on home by by sam cook cover version best ever cover version You've picked Walk On By by Isaac Hayes. If you see me walking down the street And I start to cry each time you meet And walk on by Walk This was, this was a difficult one and um, there were a couple of other songs by a big like, Tina Turner's version of Come Together by the Beatles mm-hmm. are uh, always on my mind but Pet Shop Boys love that as well but walk, this is just like so lush sounding I think the full version on the album is like 12 minutes long or something like that and he's just got this incredibly deep voice it's kind of husky yeah. like, if you see me walking down the street <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like the original, like the Dion Warwick song, it, it's it's great, it's brilliant. But it's this really light, light sounding thing. I think it's over in like two and a half minutes. Yeah. This is just kind of delicate sounding thing. And then this has just got these the strings and this kind of epic feel to it. And yeah, I absolutely love it. Ah, it's it's just twelve minutes of cool. <laughs> yeah, it's that's just what it is. awesome. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, Dion Warwick did the original, right? So mm-hmm. I was going to ask you a question as a journalist, right? Mm-hmm. So Dion Warwick. Uh, in I think it was around the early 2000s she was caught and arrested at Miami airport because uh, the baggage handlers found marijuana in her baggage right? right what do you think the headline the sun went with it's making me think of a Diana Ross thing where she gets stopped at an airport and I'm sure it was something to do with like some kind of Supremes pun or something like that I don't know with, the, with Dionne Warwick um uh, I don't know. Give up. Walk on high. <laughs> that I was I was overthinking it. I, I, know, like... I know. That's why. That's why I said the sun. I was like, yeah. That's the level we're at. I know. <laughs> uh, right. Best song you've ever seen live. Uh, Jubilee Street by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh. 
I was originally going to go for Tender by Blur which, yes. because I'd, I'd seen them it had never been like a song that I was obsessed with but I saw them at Tina Park and it was like one of those it sounds kind of cheesy but it was it's one of those sort of festival moments where like even after the set finished the whole crowd was still singing that song and you yeah. just felt like that that communal festival feeling but the one that I've gone for Jubilee Street by Nick Cave. Like, Nick Cave, I absolutely love Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And I saw him at Glastonbury 2013, and he was playing, he was second top of the bill on the Pyramid stage, the main stage at Glastonbury. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those brilliant sort of bits of scheduling where, like, if the headliner is really, really massive, there are some people who will go down to the front from the very first act of the day and stay there yeah. for 10 hours or whatever so they can get a good spot for the headliner. And Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds was on directly before Mumford & Sons. It was like the most <laughs> <laughs> opposite you could think of. And there were all these people down the front for Nick Cave who clearly had no idea who he was and were absolutely terrified by him, right? And he was totally, like you could tell he really loved how perverse that was and he was like in the crowd screaming in people's faces it was amazing but he this song starts off like really sort of restrained feel to um and it was i think at the time it was off the album push the skyway which i think had maybe only sort of recently come out around that time so it wasn't like one of his better known songs and it wasn't a song i'd thought about that much and when i saw it it was just the way it builds I've read that someone actually wrote an article about their experience of seeing this song live and they said it was it felt religious to them. Yeah. And they, they were they they'd sort of been taken to this Nick Cave gig and they weren't necessarily a huge fan. And then in the midst of this song they just felt that they were being transported. And it's like the way it just it's subtle at first the way it builds and then it just becomes this incredibly like I don't know, expressive the outpouring this song it's just it's absolutely incredible mesmerizing and uh yeah and also the video for the song is quite good as well because uh, if like if you're into watching a nipple being slowly lowered into ray winston's mouth (laughs) (laughs) which who isn't exactly that's kind of what you want from from a music video yeah if there's anyone that's listening to this that isn't into that kind of thing stop listening to a podcast i don't i don't want to appeal to you people (laughs) It's a niche audience, but <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love the fact because I was I was waiting for you to say who the band were going to be, and it couldn't have been any more perfect than Mumford and Sons. <laughs> like it could, like just a just a group of fucking banjo playing anti semite racists just standing there watching <laughs> Nick Cave. <laughs> do, do you know, like uh, as you know. I feel like with that stuff that's come out about Mumford and Sons, it's validated how much I've hated them for about 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I've got yeah. right now I have a concrete reason as opposed to just being petty, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, with the, with it was such a bizarre clash to have him on in front of them. And 
he was right out in people like some people were totally won over and there were obviously like people like me who'd gone because they loved Nick Cave but I'm maybe 20 30 rows back I'm not in with the Mumford loyals down the front yeah um but he's singing songs like um Stagger Lee which is the old blues song uh-huh. does this really heavy raucous version of and he did like the lyrics are, are all like um then I fucked him and I did, did and I shut my whatever shut that motherfucker and all this stuff and he's screaming this stuff <laughs> in these people's faces <laughs> and it's just it's just absolutely brilliant like you can see it I think it's on YouTube it's well worth a watch oh brilliant brilliant <laughs> right next one's an interesting one right mm-hmm. uh, it's guilty pleasure <laughs> uh, and it's a song called the lights are on by a uh, mick artistic's ego trip the lights are on 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 come on Yeah. Now, you asked me not to listen to it until we were uh, doing this. Unfortunately, I have got no idea how the fuck to do that. So <laughs> I listened to it just before I sent you the link to talk yeah. to it. And my God, uh, I'll let you explain just what it is. Right, so did, first of all, did it live up to expectations? Yes, massively. Yeah. Well, it grew. Basically... The expectations grew as the, as the song went on. Well, at base, are people going to hear this song after I've spoken about it? Yes, they will. Right, okay, so I'll not give too much away because I don't want to spoil the moment when it really mm-hmm. kicks in. But basically, I, I, this is, you can tell how obsessed I am with Glastonbury. Like, I, I, this was another Glastonbury thing. I, I was actually just walking between stages. Like, like, Glastonbury is absolutely gigantic. And you can be 10 minutes walking from, you know, you can be 25 minutes actually walking from one end to the other to get to the different stage but it's always a bit of a walk and i'm going in between these two stages and there's like you get all these kind of wee bandstands and small tents and stuff just all sorts going on and this guy was playing at a bandstand there couldn't have been more than 20 25 people there and he i just it caught my eye because he jumped off the stage and he was getting right in people's faces singing this song at them and I was like, I kind of want to see what's going on there. And then he st- started singing it and it absolutely killed me. It was so funny. And I, it's one of these things I think there's probably people who hear this and go, that's not very funny. But again, I probably just lose respect for anyone that doesn't laugh yeah. at this. Yeah. It, to, to, to get people to hang around and listen to it, it's a song that goes from Robert Palmer to fighting Bob Dylan to getting people to take their trousers off. That's yeah. how I'll... I, th- I think I think like as good as that stuff about the Bob Dylan and trousers and all the rest of it is, I think it's when you realise what he's doing with the Robert Palmer. Oh stuff. yeah, it's so <laughs> good. It's so good. Yeah, yes. it's really good. It's really good. Uh, next one, a song that reminds you of a moment or a place, and you've picked "America" by First Aid Kit. And we walked off to look for a Right, so you can see there's a 
theme of Glastonbury. I wasn't expecting all the Glastonbury ones to come at the same time. But this was, this was um, I think, for the same year as the Nick Cave thing, actually. I was, there have been a few times, but this was um, the Rolling Stones had headlined. And it was, I would say, one of the drunkest nights of my life. Like, had to be literally pushed back into my tent at the end of the night type <laughs> drunkenness. It was like the sort of drunkenness that get mentioned in my best, my best man mentioned it in his speech at the way. Yeah. It was just an absolute disgrace. But the the next morning, like we, we had a brilliant camping spot overlooking the pyramid stage. And um, the, the main kind of asset of that is that you Glastonbury is such a big place that if you're camped near the main stage, you're never going to get lost. And I'm speaking to someone who's got lost there a few times. And I woke up and I could hear this really sort of pleasant music. And you know that way, like, if you're ever, like, camping or at a festival or whatever, and you have that kind of woozy feeling when you wake up and it's sunny and it's like, you, you're you hungover, but it's not like a, it's not a stinking hangover. It's yeah. like a kind of, it's a sort of pleasant, sort of slightly weird, weird woozy feeling. And I just kind of heard the music and I followed it because I thought it just sounds really nice. And they were covering America by Simon Garfunkel. Yeah. And it just, like, at that point where it's you're at that, you're in that sort of woozy, hungover feel, the sun's coming down, you've, you've only just woken up, to be down the front watching this and hearing these beautiful voices, it just... I don't think I've ever been more relaxed by music in my life. And yeah. I'm always sort of thinking back to that moment of like, I don't think I've ever in any situation been quite as just calm as I was at that moment. Yeah. You know? It's a lovely, it's a lovely version of the song. It really it is. is. And the, their voices, because it's probably, it's one of the most harmonic of Simon and Garfunkel's songs where hmm. their voices just mel- mold together perfectly and they do it just as well. It's, yeah. it's stunning. Yeah, it's bro- it, it was absolutely brilliant. And I wasn't really aware of them before this. And I've since kind of got into them. And funnily enough, the, my pal who was best man at my wedding, his first dance was another first aid kit song, Emmylou. All right. Um, and yeah, they're, they're just they're just very... Um, sounds like a patronising thing to say, but kind of old souls. Like, yeah. they, they, sound, they, they sound like they could have existed in the 60s or the 70s um, yeah. and there's just something really beautiful about the harmonies and everything yeah I, I know exactly what you mean about that feeling when you wake up at a festival in the morning because mm-hmm. um, there is that nice because it's not a hungover it's a hungover but you're at a place where it's nice to have a hangover yeah, and you can drink through it as exactly well. exactly <laughs> yeah. my, my favourite my favorite, one of my favourite parts of, the fest, of a festival is if you go there on either Thursday or the Friday night and you go to your bed and go into your tent and then you think to yourself and go, I've got another two days of this. Yeah. This is excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I, I like, I've got tickets for Gla- Glastonbury 2020, which will hopefully be happening in 2022. Yeah. Um, and I, it's been one of the things I've kind of tortured myself with throughout the pandemic has been watching festival clips on uh-huh. youtube not necessarily just glassman just any festivals i miss that kind uh-huh. of thing so much i think like the release of that um like my first ever glastonbury i went to was um it was kind of, sort of a difficult period at home when i was younger just you know, had a really good childhood and everything like that but it was just slightly um difficult time and uh i went 
to Glastonbury and it was just like six, five, six days of just total freedom to do whatever you liked as long as you weren't hurting people. And yeah. And now, like, I just felt like ever since I've just been chasing that feeling of getting back there and just that freedom and the... Glastonbury, there's plenty of stuff that's kind of wanky about Glastonbury as there is with anything that size. I mean, you put 200,000 people in yeah. any setting and there's going to be some idiots and there's going to be some stuff that's naff or cheesy. But I always get really defensive about Glastonbury when people who've never been talk about it as, you know, this this hippie, lefty thing. And there's plenty of that. But they, they, when they just say it's... Just write it off as a bunch of privileged liberals or whatever. And you, yeah. all walks of people are at Glastonbury, you know. And I, you always get annoyed as well when if the headliner at Glastonbury, let's say like the year Kanye West was headlining, and people go, Kanye West shite, Glastonbury is therefore shite. And you go, well, first of all, Kanye West isn't shite. But mm. writing off Glastonbury because you don't like the headliner makes no sense because no. we're literally... There are literally about sort of thirty other musical acts you could be watching at the same time as Kanye West. Not to mention you could just go to the circus or go to the pub or go exactly. and watch some stand-up comedy. You See, know, that's, like... yeah. I mean, and some of the some of the times when I've looked at the lineups of Glastonbury, and you realise the quality of bands that are headlining stages that are small stages, miles away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're just kind of going like, even if you don't, even if you don't like the pyramid stage and you don't like the second stage and you don't like the a John Peel stage, in fucking New Order are headlining at some yeah. <laughs> at some bandstand somewhere. You're, you know, I mean, it's like you can always find something you will love. Yeah, that's I've been I've 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 been that guy that's just going. Everyone's heading to the main stage, but there's something that I really want to see up in some weird tent somewhere on the other side of this place, and that's how I ended up seeing Stormzy before he really he was at that. It was an incredible gig. It was. 2016 so he was at that level Stormzy where your mum wouldn't have heard of him yeah but he was <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but he but there was a lot of buzz about him and he was playing in this tent that was kind of one of the more obscure ones in the kind of dance villagey type bit of it and I really had to kind of traipse about to find this place and then it was genuinely one of the wildest gigs I've ever been to like there was this woman next to me was screaming every word of every song and I only at that point knew like shut up and maybe one or two other songs yeah and she was screaming every word and I was like you could tell like this guy's gonna be absolutely gigantic and you you know if you go to enough if you go to festivals and you have an open mind about stuff you end up seeing loads of people yeah. who end up you know just going stratospheric and you can say well I saw them when they were playing in front of a couple hundred people or whatever you know yeah then your dad popped up and went, there's a silent G in grime. Didn't even make any sense. But... <laughs> do, you know, do you know, actually, Stormzy reminds me of something, right? Um, you know, obviously, Anonymous, I'm going to try and tell this story without mentioning anyone's names, right? But my gran, who is now, like, well into her 80s, she got uh, an iPad a few years ago, and she got Facebook, and she eventually she became like this cult figure among like me and my mates because she got really into Facebook, but she didn't quite grasp the etiquette or whatever. So I would put something on Facebook, for instance, like most, I don't really use Facebook that much these days, but if I'd go on, it'd either be like, I've written this column or I'll maybe put like a daft joke up. And occasionally I'd make it, very occasionally I'd make a serious point about something. And I remember, you know, I'd, 
I was going through this period where I'd, I'd put a couple of serious things up now and then, and she would just respond every time, just in the comments going, good morning, Adam. <laughs> but, but I remember with, with there, was, there was one day, you know, like you get um, on Facebook, you get like event invites and it can either be going, not interested or interested. Like if you're maybe you fancy it, but you've not decided if you can make it or whatever. Right. This is obviously pre-pandemic days when events mm-hmm. happened. But um, I remember I was sitting in the canteen at work once and my gran, who was like 82, it showed up that she had put, she was interested in Stormzy at the O2 Academy. <laughs> Right, and, and, and I, think, I think genuinely that she's looked at that and thought, I don't know what this is. I am interested in finding out what this oh, what this amazing. means. Yeah, um, so yeah, she was she was brilliant. But like my, my dad had to kind of explain Facebook a bit to her because she was, she like she was doing this a lot on my sister's Facebook posts. She would go on my sister's stuff and then just my sister would be getting into a conversation with someone and she would go hi <laughs> and my dad was like mum i know what you're doing but if you saw her on the, the other side of the street talking to her pal you wouldn't cross over the road yeah. interrupt what they were saying say hi and walk away <laughs> <laughs> i'd love it if the follow-up to that hi was just a comment went I've just fucking been to see Stormzy. Have you heard? <laughs> Don't like the second album. Like it's fairly <laughs> earlier stuff. Right, next one. Uh, a hidden gem. Hmm. I'm so glad you picked this. Uh, Losing You by Solange. Yeah, are you a fan? Do you know what? No, the reason I'm really glad you picked this is because the reason I included this category is that so people would find different... Well, the whole the whole podcast is about people finding out about other interested people and songs they might not have heard. I had never heard this song in my mm-hmm. life and I loved it the minute I heard it. Amazing. Yeah, it, it was... I think it came out around about 2012, 2013. She had this EP called True... Um, and she's since gone on to have more successful stuff like the the album A Seat at the Table was really good and it was mm. it, got, it, it sort of took her to another level but that stuff that she did on True is my favourite kind of Solange stuff and um, this song Losing You it was just the second I heard it I was like this is amazing and it sounds like I mean there's loads of different influences in it but I feel like that if this was released in the 80s this could be like people talk about this huge 80s pop classic you know, yeah. um, and I don't. I, it feels like this massive injustice that it wasn't huge because no one could listen to it and go, "This isn't catchy as hell." Like this yeah. isn't, and it's got that kind of quite like that. Um, I think the term people use is like sad bangers, where the song <laughs> the songs are really good to dance to, but there's a sort of melancholy feel to it. And yeah, there is an element of that with this song. Like she's she's not singing about something happy, but the song you can't not. You know, tapping your foot to it. It's amazing. The, the video is brilliant as well. Um, but it's just, it just feels like it's total injustice that more people don't know yeah. this song. It sounds like it sounds like the one of the best songs Madonna's never done. 
Oh, totally. Yeah, that's that's who I've got in got in mind. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Madonna could have done this song, and people would talk about it as a a classic. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fantastic. Play, but everybody should definitely listen to it. Uh, right, a couple more to do. Your favourite song, just an open book, just one of your favourite songs, and you've picked Thunder Roads by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, um, so obviously that's another really difficult category because, you know, your favourite song isn't necessarily set in stone, but yeah. like, with, I couldn't not include Bruce Springsteen. Like, if, if people have listened to a few episodes of my podcast, there's, I think, about a sort of 50% rate of me managing to sneak in Springsteen chat at various points in these shows. Um, this one, like... I'm, I'm, you know, I'm obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. He's like, I'm still convinced that one day we're going to be mates, like me and Springsteen. Like it's going to happen. <laughs> we're just going to, we're just going to sit and have a pint, and everything's just going to be right with the world. But, um, yeah, I've seen him a few times live. He's always just absolutely incredible, um, and he is that guy Springsteen that's so misunderstood, and by me as well. When I was younger, I always thought of him as this slightly naff. Guy and don't get me wrong, there is, there are times when he gets the balance wrong and he is, it can be quite cheesy. But there's so much, there's just pure brilliant, brilliance yeah. about him. And when uh, I've been obsessed with him for a long, long time, and this one, I could have easily chosen a few other songs from a, my favorite. I mean, obviously you can't deny, Born to Run, the whole of. Darkness on the Edge of Town album, but like this particular song, it's got that spring that thing Springsteen does really well of making you feel nostalgic about stuff that hasn't remotely happened to you. Yeah, you know, it's like all these very American references that don't bear any resemblance to your life. Yeah, but they just the the storytelling is so good, and the music is so epic and passion that it's impossible not to get swept up in it and it's, he's just an, he's just an incredible performer springsteen he's just utterly incredible he's because yeah. uh, that's this is the opening track to born to run yeah and so i mean knowing that album it would need to be a phenomenal song to open that album yeah and because uh, what a lot of people forget is that his first two albums didn't sell well and it, he was under pressure like he would lose oh yeah he would lose his record deal and basically be forgotten about if this album hadn't... And, I mean, what a way to be under pressure and then come out swinging yeah, to well, I mean, that album. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's that way of, you, like, you send, you send your goalkeeper up in the last minute if yeah. you're needing a goal kind of thing. Like, he threw everything into this album because, like you say, he probably wouldn't have got another shot after this one. And Aye. so everything went into it. And you can feel the intensity and production's amazing and everything. And just the story and the little details, um, there the were ghosts in the eyes of all the boys you sent away, or just stuff like that. Like, how do you write something like that? It's amazing. And like, just a lot of my friends were obsessed with Springsteen. And not, not long after I met my wife, we were at a party and they. Uh, this song, I think it was this song, definitely a Springsteen song came on and there's a big group of us all singing along to it. And 
my, my pal, she turned to my wife and said, have you got used to this? And my wife says, get used to what? And she just sort of pointed at us all with disdain and went like, them wanking over Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was reading that uh, he initially intended the album to be a kind of a concept album, hmm. but he saw each song being these small vignettes and uh, this was always going to be the first track and, and it was going to it was going to follow a day. So it was all these stories throughout a day mm-hmm. and that's why there's the harmonica at the start because that was kind of like the day beginning. That would, ah, yeah. The harmonica was to symbolise the sun rising and then it was going to be all these small stories which I thought was I was really cool. And there's a line in it that uh, uh, the you ain't a beauty but you're all right. Yeah. You know, which... Uh, Julia Roberts picked when somebody asked her what lyric in any song would describe you the best. Ah, she picked that know. one. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know that. It's one of those that's like, is that a nice thing to say to someone? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so, so it's like, we, you know, talking about first dances at the wedding and stuff like that. Like, um, one of them that came to mind was. You know, a, probably a very popular first dance choice, God Only Knows, by the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. It's just an incredibly beautiful song. But the first line of that song is, I may not always love you. Yeah. And you're thinking, can, I don't think you can really call... Like, is that a, you can't really have that as a first dance. I know. Wedding. And it certainly couldn't have had a song where you go, you ain't a beauty, but hey, you're all right. But by the way, you're, you look lovely in your dress today, though. <laughs> You've really put an effort in today, but normally. Today, yes. Bit of yeah. a fucking gargoyle, to be honest. But... <laughs> But look, you're a good laugh, so let's... <laughs> right, the song to close out the playlist. You have picked Together in Electric Dreams by Phil Oakey. Yeah, um, so this one, this is actually uh, another song that reminds me of the wedding. Like, there's not many songs that I am on video dancing to, but there's two separate videos of me dancing to this, and one of them was at the wedding. Uh, it was a video of me and my mum dancing to this, so it reminds me of that. And also, a few months later, um, we were out, me and my wife, for a New Year's Eve thing, and this song was playing, and there's a video of his sing along to that so i can associate it with those two things and yeah i mean it was an was another category i could have gone with some other stuff it was like, it was like all my friends by lcd sound system yeah. was in there and uh, there's a tom waits song that i love come on up to the house which oh uh, yeah was, yeah jay lafferty picked that oh really for, yeah. not not for that category but for one of her categories as well it's a brilliant song yeah and like with come on up to the house it was really really close to choosing that because uh, it's got that kind of just sounds like it's marinated in booze mm-hmm. <laughs> it just sounds mm-hmm. like there's just something like it feels to me like a song in a pub someone's at the piano and everyone's singing along to it i just I, I absolutely love that song but but just because of the the memories that i would associate with together in electric dreams i think that and it's it's something that everyone can come together and sing along at the end of a night yeah, it's a great song, and again, like it fits, it fits in because basically your playlist is divided between largely soul music, and then eighty style synth music, <laughs> which uh, yeah. is lovely. And this, because this this song, 
because uh, Phil Oakley from a Human League, and mm-hmm. um, he wrote this song for a film called Electric Dreams. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen it? No. No, because the song has far surpassed the film because the film is shite. <laughs> it is. It's a film about a love triangle between a man, a woman, and a computer. <laughs> Genuinely, he's he's like I can't remember. He's I saw it years ago. He's fixing his computer or something, and he there's dust on it or something like that, and he spills champagne on it, and the champagne causes the computer to become sentient, and then he starts flirting with the computer, and then there's this back and forth between him and the computer and him and this woman who lives next door and th- that's it i mean that, that that's how the, someone thought this was going to be a, what we need is a love triangle between a woman a man and a computer but do you know like when you first mentioned that i was like that sounds like a really dated 80s concept and then the more i thought about it it's like well that's actually essentially my life like, <laughs> <laughs> you know like if, I, if i'm not paying attention while i'm talking to my wife it's because i'm on twitter so maybe you know it might be a, a love affair between a man and a woman in a mobile but yeah it's essentially the same spirit yeah 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 you can't have it with a computer no adam that's pc gone mad yes oh, nice yes um, you can see right. how professional comedian oh, is on this God, show. I tell you, just lost about 30 followers there. Uh, <laughs> right, before before you go, this has been so much fun. Um, one minute, as you are so knowledgeable about it, and I think, as you mentioned, we were in the Euros and we didn't, we didn't perform how either of us would have liked to or what we were hoping for. I was genuinely gutted by the end of it. One minute, how would you fix Scottish football? Oh, right. That's a question I should have prepared for. Um, <laughs> yeah, for a music podcast, you were always going <laughs> to get sprung that humdinger. <laughs> uh, give me a second. Let me think. I, oh, that's such a good question. There's probably a serious answer and a less serious answer. The, the more serious answer would be that I would make it easier for young people to play football. Um, that would be, I would, you know, there's, I would, all these signs that say no ball games and mm-hmm. all the rest of it, I think do away with, you know, apart from extreme circumstances, do away with this stuff. I think people need to be encouraged. You always hear people from older generations talking about, well, when I was a boy, constantly day and night, and now they're stuck on their computers. And you can't tell people to not be on playing video games or be on the internet because it's just the way society's progressed now. And if, you know, if our parents in the you know whatever generation had computers they would have played them as well but i think we need to make, encourage and make it easier for children to be out playing football all the time um and the probably less serious thing would be just people who are incapable of having a laugh at their team's expense should be expelled from football and yes. probably society <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> My Twitter notifications at the very least. Yeah, there's old fun facts there. Advocating mass genocide for <laughs> uh, humorless people. <laughs> uh, this has been so much fun. Uh, thanks so much for being on, man. No, thanks so much for having me on. I love doing it. Cheers, pal. Take care. Thanks, Mark. Cheers.
And that's that. Episode 9 done. Thank you to Adam, a.k.a. Old Firm Facts, for joining me. Uh, really, really interesting chat there. I thought we covered some proper big topics. So I hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you want to follow Adam, you can get him at Old Firm Fact 1. All his details, listen to his podcast, it's a belter, I've been a guest on it. Uh, all his details will be up on the podcast description, as will all of mine. You can follow us on Twitter at PerfectPlayPod. Uh, the special is still... I'm hoping to edit together a wee trailer this week, so uh, hopefully that'll be out, and then you can watch it as soon as it was all released. Keep getting in touch. You can get in touch with me through the Twitter account, and let us know any guests you want on, any song topics you want us to have a look at anything really um if you've enjoyed it as always please leave us a five star review or you can uh, write a review if you can be arsed uh, that'll be cracking or like i always say please just tell your pals i'll be back next week with another cracking guest but i will leave you now with the words of ice cube who said i do what i do you like it great you don't go listen to somebody else I'm sticking with the people who stuck with me. See you next week. Bye-bye.